Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. As always, joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen to us. All right, Doug, I start the show every week by reviewing all your various titles and labels. I think this week I have to add one label for you, Birthday Boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I 30, was honored to be invited. 35 years old. It's amazing. <laughs> 35. Boy, you're just so youthful and uh, ageless. Uh, I, I was honored to be invited to your uh, big virtual birthday party over the weekend and uh, very cool of you and your beautiful family to include me. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, you know my wife put it together, and uh, yeah, she she's amazing. She she got friends. I mean, people. My the family I stayed with when I played in Cape Cod in 1990. That? Been in touch with them. They they actually did it from the field, Spillane Field in Wareham. Uh, wow! So really a a great time, and so yeah, thanks for joining and hopping in there, man. Appreciate that. No, it was it was really cool. Now we'll, we'll be bringing in our guest this week, the great Dodgers broadcaster Joe Davis, in a moment. But first, Doug. I have to ask you about a story that your mother told during the birthday festivities. Now, I was not aware that you had a short-lived pitching career, but your mom told a story about how you were a pitcher as a kid, and apparently you had no idea where the ball was going to go once it left your hand. So she told this story about how you pitched a game, and she said you struck out every hitter <laughs> until the other coach told his hitters, just don't swing anymore. <laughs> right. So is this story true? And what's the deal here? This is true. This is true. Um, this was, well, <laughs> so I'm in, I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, Teaneck Western Little League. And there was uh, a minor league and a major league kind of. So I was in the minors. I was still young. And uh, and this was a cha- this was actually a championship game. And same thing. I was striking people out. They were swinging the pitches over their heads. I mean, I didn't really know where I was going. I just threw hard. So they were all scared. And then the, the coach was like, I mean, he came out. I was like, don't swing. And I could not hit the strike zone pretty much. I walked and they kept me out there. And we, we ended up losing that game. Uh, I don't know what the lead was, but it was it was a high scoring affair. Uh, but I did stay out there for most of the game. So uh, What was the Glanville uh, box score line in that I don't, game? I don't know. We, we've kept, my brother is taught me to keep box scores really at a young age I mentioned stratomatic so i probably do have something from that but i um i probably kept more when i get got called up to the majors when i was like nine i started keeping track and uh, the good news is i did we did win the championship we tied one year and then won 
in the next three years. So that was a redemption. And I sent you my pitching line of 47. I think it was 47 and two. Yeah, let, 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 let's let's have the, the listeners share in the brilliance of Doug Glanville, <laughs> Little Leaguer. Come on. I, I think, I mean, I think it was pretty accurate. So uh, it was something like 47 innings pitch or 47 and two thirds, I think it was. Uh, two hits and 102 strikeouts. <laughs> <laughs> So, 47 and <laughs> two-thirds, two hits? Right. Threw, two? Yeah, I threw like three or four no-hitters. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it was anecdotal because my brother would also help me with the stats, but I, I had a very illustrious little league career. Uh, and, I, you know, I hit my home runs, and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good run. But we did, most importantly, we were undefeated that year. And on my team, on the Jets, was Lawrence Frank. And Lawrence Frank, what? for you basketball fans out there, was, the, was head coach of the Pistons and the New Jersey Nets for many years. Uh, it's currently with the Clippers organization. And, uh, you know, we grew up together in Teaneck. And just to give you a sense of how brilliant this guy was, first of all, he imitated Tommy John to a T. Like, he was, you know, John was with the Yankees, and he was a lefty. And, <laughs> Not the surgery, the actual uh, Yeah, that's pitcher. right, the pitcher. Right? Okay. And, or Jim Cott, you know, he had that down. So he knew, I mean, it didn't strike out the whole season. And when we played basketball, our, our little league was called Biddy Basketball. And in Biddy Basketball, we were all watching this guy like set picks. And we were like, what is this guy doing? We were like nine. Like, <laughs> is he teleporting? He was always open and, and shot three-pointers, a little left-handed guy. So uh, so we had some some good runs there. But yeah, little league was, was special. But uh, my claim to fame was the gold bat. I used a wood bat in the minors. I used a gold bat that was uh, in the in the sort of majors, and I hit a home run off of uh, a twelve year old. I was like nine, hit a home run over the fence. My first one was like totally out of body experience, and then like eight years later, I played against him in college and hit another home run. <laughs> and he came over to me and says, "I can't get you out, man. <laughs> over <laughs> ten years, and I can't get you out." So good days, man. Good days. Okay, let's bring in our very special guest this week. Yeah, the one, absolutely. the only, dulcet voice of the Dodgers, Joe Davis, is joining us. Joe, welcome to Starkville. Thanks for hey popping by. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I, I'm, think, I'm thinking you must be a little hoarse today after you had to call seven home runs on Sunday. You must, how many, how many uh, of those recall-up cough drops did you have to pop in after that? You know what? Here's the thing. I'm all calloused already because they do this like every other day. So <laughs> I'm feeling just fine. They really do. Couldn't be the baseball, right? That couldn't possibly be it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, I got one more thing here. This is, again, totally unrelated, but you don't really have a signature home run call, right? You don't do the it is high, it is far, it could be, it might be. You, I'm sure you've thought about it. It's a good way to get famous <laughs> now if yeah. you're a broadcaster. Um, yeah, so I guess just the way that I've th thought about that is that like every home run is different and every moment is different. And if I wind up having one that develops over time, I'm totally fine with that. And I love the guys that have them and they work for the guys that have them, but I don't want to have one just for the sake of having it. And I haven't had anything hit me yet. And I guess if it hasn't yet, maybe it won't ever. If it does, I'm cool with it, but I'm also okay with just coming up with whatever comes to me on a given one. <laughs> that, I mean, that's cool too. John Miller and I used to talk about this all the time. He didn't have one. He didn't think he wanted one. Next thing you know, adios pelota. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So it happens. Right. It does happen. All right, w- one more on this topic. Do you have any regrets that you've never got to call a Doug Glanville home run? <laughs> yes, I think about it daily. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to, uh, just come back trail. Let's go. Yeah, just, well, just to give you a sense of uh, the home run issue that's going on with Dodger Stadium, I didn't. I never hit a home run at Dodger Stadium, and that says a lot because no. fifty-nine <laughs> career home runs. If really? I didn't hit it out of the ballpark, then clearly something's going something on. Something was wrong. Yeah, something's right. going dead on. Ball. Dead ball. Dead ball. Dead yeah. ball era. It must have been the dead yep. ball. So all all sure. those rockets he used to hit, Chavez Ravine, just yeah. all died just on the track. Just died. Just died on the I track. So. It's unfair. Yeah, you know, it's, something, something's <laughs> wrong. So, uh, but yes, I will. I will. Uh, the comebacks are not happening. The uh, L4, okay. L5 lumbar region is just completely categorically rejecting <laughs> any effort. To go from home to first base, but uh, well, I will live I'm, vicariously. I'm bummed to hear that. I want to call a Doug Glanville home run. Yeah, you have to go play the old yeah. videotape. Let me see. I did take Kevin Brown deep in at the vet, mm. so that that was a huge accomplishment. But it was on the it was on the Dodger Road, so I'm not sure. I guess that counts. That counts, right? Yeah, it counts. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. We'll do that. It can. It's your birthday. Counts as what? Play that on the loop. Let's uh, <laughs> Tim, Tim, or Mayor Tim, evil Mayor. He could bring it up and play the audio. So maybe by the end of this podcast, he can go find. Uh, any of the home runs I hit against the Dodgers, which clearly had to be when I was at home. Any of the home runs that you hit against the Dodgers, meaning all one I of them? You know, one, maybe two. <laughs> at least, Jason. <laughs> it was yeah, at well, least. Yeah, at least. At least. At least that's the at least phrase. one. Yeah, but, yes, key. Key point. Uh, all right. Well, let, let, let's talk about the Dodgers, Joe, because they're 22-8 and eight for only the second time in the history of the franchise, right? And... Let's see if I, I I tried to do the math on this because you multiply everything times two point seven. It's the equivalent of starting fifty nine and twenty three. This just in that's good. How how dominant do the do you think the Dodgers have a chance to be even in a sixty game season? Well, here's the weird thing, guys, and maybe it's because there's no crowd and there's no environment like we're used to. But until the last few days it didn't feel like they were playing that well. Like Clearly, they're really good, and there's a lot of talent, but we were still able to find things to nitpick about and say they need to be better in this, this, and this. The last few days have been pretty complete effort in in each phase, but I don't know if they've played their best yet. So to answer your question, they halfway halfway home at this point with 22 wins, obviously puts them on a 44-win pace. I could see them exceeding that. That's crazy. Um, all right, they haven't played their best baseball yet, and they lead the league in run scored, mm-hmm. in homers, in OPS, in pitchers ERA, and they lead the majors in defensive runs saved by a huge margin. Yeah. So if they actually played well, what would they do? <laughs> well, you know what? The, the defense part is the one where I shake my head every night like, wow. Besides having guys that can go get it in the outfield, like Bellinger in center, Betts in right, whoever they put in left, their positioning is uncanny. And it's always been good. I think they've always kind of been the the trendsetter in in that regard. Andrew Friedman's teams have always been a step ahead. But it's at another level this year. Their their positioning is just unbelievable. So the defense has been sloppy a little bit the last few games, a couple of multi-air games that we're not used to seeing. That's been really good. The bullpen has been consistently good. Probably the most consistent strength has been the bullpen. Rotation has 
been okay. I mean, it's had stretches where it's been really good, but stretches where it's not been very good. And then the offense, like you mentioned, they're leading baseball in most offensive categories. But until the last couple of days, Bellinger hadn't hit. Muncy's still not hitting. Jock Peterson's not hitting. Uh, there are several guys who you expect to produce who haven't produced yet. And it's not like there's a bunch of guys who are playing way above their heads you know, to, to make up for these guys. So I think there are still a few guys that are going to hit that haven't yet uh, that you're just going to add on top of everything they have going. Frightening. I mean, this feels to me like the most talented team in this whole run. Um, how do you think it compares to 17, 18, 19? Well, they came into the year, you go back to spring training, saying that they thought internally in the clubhouse that this was the most talented team. We'll see. When when you get to October, they've been really talented, 17, I think 17 especially, 18, 19, but they haven't been the same team in October, especially offensively. You, know, you, get, you get into October and you see the strikeout rate climb. That's an area this year where they're number one in baseball. They have the lowest yeah. strikeout rate. And we know the last four years across baseball, the teams that have had the lowest strikeout rates that have been able to put the ball in play, those are the teams that are winning the whole thing. So hopefully that leads them to be a little bit different when October gets here because they've not been able to sustain what they look like for 162 games when the calendars flip to October. Yeah, and Joe, I think uh, you know one thing we're coming up against is the trade deadline. Uh, which, of course, in this uncharacteristic, unprecedented season is something unusual. Uh, is there possibly, given the resume now of the Dodgers, something that the Dodgers would make a move about? Uh, is there a change that you're hearing sometimes uh, through the fans or other to find out what else do they need? Yeah, I guess who they could use another starting pitcher, dominant starting pitcher, but who couldn't? Uh, they have Tony Gonsolin right now, who's – made three starts, not giving up an earned run, I think like 17 innings total, he's at the alternate site. <laughs> so we can say that they, they need to go get a starting pitcher, but they could just bring up Tony Gonsolin, and I think that he could fit in the rotation in October. Offensively, I don't know that – I mean, what do you guys think? Where, like, where, do, you, where do you go to address? And given all the other layers of, of – complexity in this situation this trade deadline moving guys through time zones given the coronavirus and everything we're dealing with it just seems pretty sloppy to make a move and for what like I just don't know that there's a whole lot to address yeah well I'm always fascinated by Andrew Friedman heading toward the deadline anyway just mm -hmm. because Andrew's one of those people who doesn't feel the need to make a move just to say he made one right right totally not wired that way and he you know he it, it to a great degree i think andrew thinks of these things as almost like math equations what am i giving up is it worth it and he's very conscious this year of the fact that there's a best of three series yeah. awaiting the dodgers if they win 44 games, if they win 50 games, whatever, yeah. whatever it winds up being, you can be mm -hmm. 50 and 10, and you still got to play that best of three. Um, mm -hmm. No fans in the stands, no real advantage for that team that just had that year. I, do you think that that – let's ask a two-part question. One, do you think that that is, a, is something that would – cause Andrew to be more reluctant to make a deal might make multiple teams more reluctant and two like what how do you how do you think the Dodgers feel about that series just in general it's a minefield 
Yeah, I think he's brilliant, and so I'm sure he's factoring it in. How much he lets it affect what he decides to do ultimately, I don't know, but I'm sure it is factored in. How much does it affect the Dodgers? I think more than any team, the Dodgers and the Yankees. It's the big market teams who knew they were going to get into the postseason. They didn't need more teams to come to the party. All this is is another potential hurdle for teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the teams that figured they were going to be in regardless of the expanded field. It's just one more tier you got to climb over. Yeah, it's so dangerous uh, to think about having a matchup with a team like the Reds. Mm -hmm. We were talking off air, the Rockies. Um, Like, who, Who do you think they would fear matching up with in a best of three, like the mess with Jacob DeGrom comes to mind too. Yeah, right. I, they've not hit lefties, so they're they're number one in baseball against right-handed pitching, OPS. They're 25th or so when it comes to hitting lefties. Kyle Freeland wow. the other night, uh, first game of the series against the Rockies, shut him down. Freeland's been good this year, but he came in and, and really uh, shut him down. So I, any team that has – and, and we're talking about this, Jason, like you mentioned before we started recording here. It doesn't even take like three starters for you to be scared about it. It takes one guy that a team can throw out their game one and change yeah. the entire tone of the thing. Say it was the Rockies and they started Kyle Freeland and he did what he did on Friday night and then the bullpen held it. And the Dodgers find themselves down 1-0 and one loss ends their season to a sub-500 team. It, it wow. becomes a coin flip after one pitcher that handles you. So, I mean, take your pick. I can make a case for that team being scary in this format. Yeah, there's a really good chance that that number eight seed is a sub-500 team mm-hmm. or a fourth-place team is possible. Yeah. I mean, wow. The idea of a 45-50 to 50 win team losing to a team like that, I, like in some ways it might be good because it would – give baseball a wake-up call uh, and it'd be a cautionary tale about going down this road in future postseasons. I think we all understand why we're doing it this year, but uh, I wouldn't want to be that team that gets knocked out by uh, the the fourth place 28 and 32 Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we're seeing it, I guess, what is the NHL, you know, these, these low seeds, just that first play in series. Uh, And, and that's, you know, we've, we've gone down this road already with the wild card, right? It was this idea of sudden death. And we have circumstances by which we're trying to, you know, deal with, un, you know, these, all the uncertainty that's come about with the health crisis. But at the same time, you know, you're worried about these these formats. And the Dodgers, you know, they have so much depth and so many, so many weapons. But as you said, just one pitcher, one matchup, one circumstance. Uh, but Friedman has been a master of this overall. You know, you look back at the Tampa days, he's found value under a rock. Uh, what, is, what has been your uh, overall view, view of what he's brought to the Dodgers franchise, given that he's worked with limited resources and now he seems to have unlimited? Has that been uh, exponentially advantageous or, or has it been something that you've seen him just continue to develop? Yeah, it's amazing to me what he does, the restraint that he operates with. You know, having, like like you mentioned, a big market team, all the resources, but he never he never works like that in the market. You know, I guess until the Mookie Betts deal, did you see him really flex the Dodgers' financial muscles in the way that he operates? There are guys coming up through the system 
every single year that are making a significant impact for one of the richest teams in baseball. Before the Betts deal, the, the average salary of the guys in the lineup was not particularly high. So it's just incredible to me what he's put together, both in you know, the restraint that he operates with when it comes to trades, finding uncover, you know, uncovering hidden gems to bring in. A lot of bullpen pieces are seeing Jake McGee this year. And then the, the culture that he's established when it comes to player development. I think the Dodgers are probably the envy of baseball and what they're doing in the minors. And you combine all those things with the financial might, it's, I mean, it's, you guys see, we're seeing what, what that creates under Andrew Friedman and, and his personality. I know you guys both know him. His personality sets the tone for the entire organization being a, a place that people want to go and a place that people want to work and a place that people feel like they have a chance to win. Yeah. And, and speak to Mookie Betts. What kind of player is Mookie Betts? Man, he's amazing. He even so he had a one for seventeen stretch going before he hit the two home runs yesterday. It didn't feel like that because even when he's one for seventeen, he's doing something else that is remarkable and that's helping you win the game. Yeah, you know, he went. He scored from first on a single from Corey Seager the other day. He goes first to third. Seager gets caught in a rundown and bats just like that. Flies to the plate and scores in what wound up being a tight game, so significant run. We've seen his defense. That's something that's hard to have a full appreciation for until you see him play every day. We've seen that now. And then you're hearing about all this stuff behind the scenes, him being out there for early work every single day, taking ground balls at every position in the infield just to stay ready and bringing guys with him to do that extra work. Now he's, he's given credit for helping Austin Barnes turn his swing around. You know, Barnes went from hitting a buck 50 and being one of the worst offensive players in the National League for the first month to an eight-game hitting streak where he's leading baseball, hitting like 490. And Barnes said, oh, yeah, I started working with Mookie. So it's just – it's it's unbelievable all the stuff he brings. And if it's possible for him to have exceeded expectations so far, he has. You know, let's, let's talk a little bit about broadcasting baseball during a pandemic. And, like, one of the things that I've thought about a lot this year is just how much I miss – the ability to just hang around the field, the dugout, the cage, the clubhouse, and talk to people. You're, you're I mean, you're big on that too, just being on the field. Uh, how, how much do you miss that? Uh, how much does it keep you from even getting to know a guy like Mookie who's, who's in his first year with the Dodgers? Yeah, it's, it's a huge part of the job, and I think we all realize that, but probably didn't have a full appreciation for how um, – how much rich material you get being down there. There are, there are so many days where, and I, I never go down there with like a notepad saying, I got to get this, this, and this done. I may have a question or two that I want answered from something I saw the night before, but really it's just being around and having open ears and, and soaking up as much as you can. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone down there, or maybe it's been, you know, in a normal season, a day where I'm like I'm tired and I got to the park a little late, you know, the kids were, kids were a handful at home. And so I don't really want to go down there, but then I do. And something that I hear while I'm around the cage drives the entire broadcast that night or is the most interesting thing I talk about that night. So to not have that access, it's a big deal. And in the case of somebody like Mookie, I got to meet him at spring training. We've chatted a time or two, but yeah, there's no relationship developing there. Um, when we're, only up in the press box. We go from our car in the parking lot to the booth and back. And it's weird. Right. It's it's a little bit depressing. 
I mean, to not be able to have that part of the job, it's such a huge part of the job. It is. And, you know, it, look, it, this is not a year for us to complain about anything. Right? For, for, one thing, sure. we have, for one thing, we have jobs. Uh, for another thing, I mean, the, like, it changes the way we do our jobs, but the, the deal is everybody has to adapt and do whatever you can the best you can. But building those relationships is such a big part of doing what we do. Why do Doug Glanville and I do a podcast together, right? right? Because we built that relationship through so much um, entertaining small talk, right? Locker rooms and cages and dugouts. And um, we have a a deep friendship that started there. And I, I don't know how you calculate how much of that is lost right now, but yeah, hey, it's that's where we are. Um, let me ask you about doing games from an empty Dodger stadium because that's what that's what you guys do on the road, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, like when I think of Dodger Stadium, it's it's loud. You know, there's a lot of people there. Uh, the PA system works. <laughs> oh yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have no trouble hearing it. You don't have to say, "Hey, could you turn that up a little bit?" <laughs> no, nope, don't have to do that. Um, Dodger dog and the idea, Dodger dog, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I, I want you to think about J- Doug, Joe, and Oral sitting in an empty <laughs> Dodger stadium, calling a game that they're not actually watching. <laughs> right? right? What is that like? How would you describe that? It's really weird. I mean, we get we get the same wonderful view that people love about Dodger Stadium, watching the sunset over the mountains and everything. But then there's sprinklers going on in the field, and there's groundskeepers down there, you know, padding the dirt, and, and we're sitting there up in the booth as the as the sky darkens. And by the time the game is in the late innings, we're just looking out into this black beyond. You know, just this vastness, it's just, it's nothing out there. I mean, you see some of the, right. like the ribbon boards light up now and then. Oral thinks there's ghosts in there. <laughs> like, there's like a dozen of us in Dodger Stadium. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. I'll say this though. It is almost weirder doing the games that are actually happening on the field at Dodger Stadium than it is doing the road games off monitor really? sitting in an empty booth. Yeah, or in an empty park. And I think it's because doing the road games off monitors is completely different than anything we've ever done, right? And it's like, okay, we have to do this this year because things are so different. When you do the home games, it's supposed to feel normal, but (laughs) you're looking down at all these cardboard cutouts. You got the crowd noise, you know, obviously being pumped in. You mentioned the place being so loud normally, so loud that it shakes. In the, on a Tuesday night, there's 50,000 people in there during the regular season, and the place literally shakes from our standpoint in the booth. And to sit there and not have any of that, it's really disorienting. It's really weird. Close enough where it's like this should be more normal, but it is not at all. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you know, your relationship with Vin Scully. Uh, I guess I, I'm wondering, you know, I, not so much, you know, I always think of Gloria Steinem quote, right? It's it's about passing the torch. And her response was like, I'm not passing it. I'm just using mine to light others. Mm. And and so what what has Vin Scully meant from the standpoint of you entering this role and, and maybe some of the things he said that stuck with you about approaching your, your work? His big thing was 
to be myself. And it sounds like simple, very simple advice. And it is, but I think it's really important to keep in mind in a situation like this. And it's the same thing that Red Barber told him when he took over uh, for Ernie Harwell, moving into the booth in 1950. Be yourself. You can learn from the other people that you're listening to. You can take some things from me, but don't water your own wine. You know, you are who you are and let that come through. Don't force yourself on the broadcast. Just let yourself come through. And I think especially in a situation like this where he's the greatest ever to do this job, there's a reason that people love him. The tendency would probably be like just letting instincts operate would be to come in and try to just be Vin and do what has made him special for so long. There's a reason that he's the greatest ever to do it. So remembering to fight that tendency, obviously it takes stuff from him. You know, there are so many elements of his broadcast that I try to incorporate into mine, but while allowing myself to be myself and not trying to be Vin or replace Vin, just look at it as a responsibility as the guy that gets to follow him. Uh, but nothing more than that. You know, Doug can relate to this following a legend because he had to replace Lenny Dykstra in center field. You had to, you had to replace Vince Scully. What do you think about the same thing, guys? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I told you the Dykstra fans. Um, I, I had a very rough start to my Phillies career. I had a great spring training, and then I came up and I was hitting like 180. And uh, I was in center field, and I heard a fan who was uh, heckling me, and he knew that I had done a paper, my senior paper about building a stadium at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia as the upcoming stadium. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So the fan says, hey, hey, Glanville, why don't you design a stadium you can hit in? And, uh, <laughs> that's great. And I was like, that was pretty good. I had to tip my cap on that one. Yeah. Uh, that was life following Lenny Dykstra for a while. Uh, but it, it did eventually fade. But uh, Dykstra, you know, that's that's a tough one. Not Vince Scully, but wow. in a Vince Scully Philadelphian <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. You didn't have any heckling, did you? I mean, we all do on social media, right? <laughs> yeah, there right. Hecklers there all the time. Uh, people have been really? awesome to me. Yeah, right, right. People have been so nice to me and, and welcoming. And, you know, they've had nothing but the greatest ever to do this job since the team moved to Los Angeles. And so for them to give me a chance, uh, and I think it helps that the team has won like 100 games a year since I've been here, so I've been delivering <laughs> good news. Right. And people like to hear good news, but no, I, I feel so blessed to have been welcomed the way that I have. Yeah, well, you're really great at what you do, and that has something Thanks. to do with it too. Um, you know, I know I've, I've heard the story about you and Len Casper, mm-hmm. how you reached out to Len. How old were you when you reached out to Len Casper? Uh, Len's been on this podcast, does the Cubs games with Jim Deshays. Yeah. Um, how old were you when you reached out to Len? Tell us what happened from there. Probably 19 or 20. would have been partway uh-huh. through college and grew up a Cubs fan and was headed to a game one summer during a summer break and decided I'd write Len a letter and put it in my pocket. My dad and I parked somewhere in Wrigleyville and walked to the stadium, and we were going to walk it up to the press box attendant, who I now know as Keith. I've gotten to know. I, I didn't know at the time, but I was wow. going to take it to him and have him deliver it up to Len and see if I could uh, you know, make, make a connection with him. I get to the park and reach in my pocket, and the letter's gone. So I'm bummed. And you know, we watch the game. Cubs lose. We're driving back home to Michigan, and – I got a voicemail that popped up. It was from the owner of the old Taco Bell. 
right uh, right across the street there from Wrigley. <laughs> right. And she oh left goodness. a message and said, hey, I just want you to know I have your letter. It has a footprint on it, but somebody found it on the <laughs> sidewalk and brought it in, and I'll make sure that oh, Len wow. gets a hold of it when oh, they wow. get back from their upcoming road trip. So sure enough, two weeks later, I got an email from Len that said, hey, I'd be happy to talk sometime. And I don't think I even had any tape at this point. I, I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. I maybe had a little bit of basketball tape, but no baseball tape. And we stayed in touch from there. And um, now I consider him a friend. It's it's yeah. a, a pretty cool thing. Wow. And all because the owner of the Taco Bell yeah. sent your letter. Yeah. That is really a wow. cool story. You know, like these, like these interactions, um, they, they do leave a literal footprint, you know? Um, yeah. Like when I... When I was probably 19, I started writing to Stan Hockman, who was a great columnist, Philadelphia Daily News, right? And he would write back. And just the kindness with which Stan treated me, both as a kid and then later when I got into the business, I never forgot. When Tyler Kepner, now covers baseball for the New York Times, was 14 years old, he wrote to me, right? And said, hey, I want to do what you do. I published this little book baseball magazine with my brother and my cousin would you read it and i read it it was so good and i wrote him back this 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 note just to encourage him i've gotten to watch him grow into that role and then all right i won the spink award part of that is you get invited to the new york baseball writers dinner in new york and who introduced me but tyler (laughs) kepner and like you, you talk about how things just kind of circle around in life. His mother found the letter that I wrote to him when he was 14 years old and he read it from the dais. That is so cool. What, like what a moment. Um, And so this, you know, this whole thing that we do um, and the connections that we make, paying it forward, helping the people who, who come along before and after us, you know, like that's, it's a big part of the fraternity mm-hmm. of what we do and what we all are. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I, I can't I get on that track, but no, I, I can't tell you how many times it's almost every day I remind myself how many people like Len went out of their way to make me feel like I could do this job and uh, encourage me and give me advice and and I'm I'm always so eager to pass that along just because I, I know I'm a product of all that. I'm only here because of all that advice and from guys who didn't have to do it, but somebody had done it for them too, just like you're talking about, Jason. And it, it just it's it's part of what we do and it's one of the most special parts of what we do. No, and, and it's so baseball to to know mm-hmm. that this mentorship exists, you know, on the field, off the field, through the field, beyond the field. Uh, you know, baseball has has always had these type of connections, and uh, certainly all of us share that love for it. And I know, you know, I I love Gary Maddox. You know, growing up, uh, I was a Phillies fan, and you know, Maddox was at, at my wedding actually. And, uh, you know, all, all those years later, and was a great mentor during my career. And then I watched, you know, Jimmy Rollins, as I called Rookie 2.0, come through, and and um, you know, it's it's powerful because. There's such a connection between these generations and time, and as an aspect of it, that you feel like you're standing still at the same time. Mm. You know, you're, you're, you're sharing these moments together. So, uh, you know, it's a beautiful part of the game. And and as you mentioned, some of it we're missing in some way today, but in other ways, we're finding other ways to to be that uh, for each other. 
Hey Starkville, Evil Mayor Tim here. Lots of great Dodgers talk still to come, plus trivia and more. But first, a word from our sponsors. I want to get back to the the stuff that happens now when you're broadcasting these games. And like one of the odd things is the stuff you hear that you ordinarily would never hear because there's no fans in the seats. And I believe our evil mayor, Tim, has a moment that arrived during a Dodger game earlier this year. Let's hear it. Just get on the mound, little Ooh, okay. (laughs) Uh, So in empty stadiums, we pick up some things that we don't normally pick up. Apologies for whoever the potty mouth is. I guess Later you remember that, right, that was. <laughs> Yeah, that was obviously Dusty Baker. I thought it was Dusty Baker when I heard it, but I wasn't sure. Um, I mean, like, it is what it is. And I, I hate that cliche, but I don't think it's ever been more appropriate than going through some of the stuff that, that we're seeing in this season. And I, my thought on it is people at home hear this. So to completely ignore it, it it's almost makes it almost like calls more attention to it. And I think about, you know, if my, if my four-year-old is sitting there watching and hears something like that, how am I going to react? You know, I, so I, I try to at least acknowledge it uh, without calling too much attention to it. I wouldn't want to call attention to it. I just think everybody is hearing that stuff. It's so clear. So I try to react naturally. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Just for context, that occurred during the uh, the Dodgers game against the Astros. Was That, that was during the Joe oh, yeah. Kelly yeah. Uh, fracas, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that became a big topic on Starkville last week. Um, uh, you know, Joe kind of formed his own Justice League <laughs> tried to make amends for stuff that had happened yeah. uh, back in the Dodgers past before he was even there. What, what what was that night at the mic like? That was an interesting one. Um, yeah, that, that all happened in that same half inning there where you heard Dusty share his words with uh, Joe Kelly there, not, not liking him too much. And then Kelly obviously throwing up and in. And what we didn't think of right in the moment was – in 2017, Joe Kelly was on the Boston Red Sox, and the Boston Red Sox got knocked out by the Houston Astros in the division series. I actually called that series for Fox, and I, I so I don't I don't know I how that too. slipped my mind. <laughs> uh, but he was person, even if he was, even if it was, uh, you know, so clearly standing up for his teammates, right? If if on a basic level, but he right. was personally affected by the sign stealing as well. So. I think there were a lot of layers to it, and Joe's the kind of guy that if he feels like he needs to stand up for himself or for his teammates, he's going to do it. Oral Hershiser and I do a podcast, and we always ask our guests, who are usually Dodger players, who would win a cage match, a Dodger cage match, and Joe Kelly is often one of the answers to that. Like He's he's a skinny, wiry guy, but you don't want to mess with him. Yeah, I think we might find out the way this is going. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is intense. I mean, I, I think of one of the things I thought about was, you remember Sean Estes, a left-handed oh, yeah. pitcher, and I think he, th- remember he threw at Roger Clemens, um, hmm. you know, because Clemens had hit Piazza. I think it was all those times. I think I'm getting that right. But I don't think, you know, Estes was sort of part of the original fracas. You know, he was just hmm. sort of coming in. And there is that. And, you know, I, I grapple with it a lot because as a hitter, you know, my issue is what I hear from pitchers all the time is this, there's this overconfidence that I can be as accurate as I want to be. And, and that they, they know that, okay, I'm sending a message, but they're assuming the way you're going to get out of the way too. Right. And, you know, I, I got hit in the head once by Frank Viola actually. 
and this was in the, when he was making a comeback. And it was it was actually my fault because he was throwing a bunch of changeups away, and he still had a great changeup. And I started leaning out, and then he threw a fastball up and in. And I couldn't get out of the way. Um, and and it wasn't intentional, but the idea is that you know you you don't have control over your pitches as much as you think, and you don't know exactly where that hitter was is going. And what I think is interesting is now Major League Baseball has to start working on the instigation level because now you know we can't afford brawls of the pandemic. We have to figure out how to get ahead of it, and that's a position they haven't really been in because there's this kind of understanding about policing itself. And and I don't think between Dodgers and Astros or Astros and other teams, it's we're going to see the sort of end of the retaliation or frustration expressed. So I guess, you know, if I have a question of this is that, you know, there's a lot of new rules in baseball that were, you know, seven inning doubleheaders and ghost runners and all these things. Vis-a-vis uh, these type of uh, the brawling environment or the retaliation, what do you see as possible that, that the game needs to address? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I mean, I, I tend to lean on guys like you that have been in those positions and have had fastballs thrown up around their head before I start, you know, making, making decisions about what, like, you know, you, I guess you want the game to be able to police itself without having to put rules on top of it, actual written down rules. But and there's my two year old in the house, as I oh, promise you. Be sorry, I, I got my four year old um, yeah. there. It's all good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Let's you know bring what them I mean. All on. They might have some thoughts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just it's it's hard for me to say that the rule should be this or that because I haven't lived a hundred mile per hour fastball coming up by my chin, and so it. I don't know. I don't know what the rules would be. I would love it if the game could police itself and everybody was happy and safe, but I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, I, I, and I, I think the tough thing, and no, it's a, it's a really difficult question. I, I don't know either, actually. I, I just think that, um, you know, you, you kind of go back and forth as to, you know, where, you know, where this train goes. And I know as a player, you, you battle this because the tit for tat, where does it end? And what's so challenging about the Dodgers in particular, or any of these teams, the A's with the Astros, is mm-hmm. that hitting someone in the back can't replace what happened, right? What you're aggrieved about. You know, normally, okay, I slid in hard in the second base. It was a little bit, okay. And then you hit me and it's kind of like, okay, I can see the sort of uh, exchange. But this was, this is so deep and yeah. and we're all kind of late to it. <laughs> you're kind of like, wait, but that was three years ago and we just yeah. learned these things. That That's what makes this, uh, I'm, I'm actually really curious, like how this will play out because that that's a, you know, the po- policing of the game on the field can't really address it uh, because it's so deep and it's it's so um, it, it was so powerfully transformational in a way that was painful right. for so many. Right, and they play again in uh, a week and a half or two, yeah. uh, two games at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, uh, we'll see those fireworks. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll see what lingers. Yeah, it could well linger. Uh, what what about the other new rules? I mean, I'm. I'm on record as saying I actually really like the extra inning rule. You want to keep it? I think it's fun. I want to keep it. Do you? I do. Uh, tell me what you think. I think that it's fun, but I'm not quite there yet to say it should be kept. I think it's fun and it's perfectly appropriate for the 60-game season. Um, 
three batter minimum, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's serving the purpose that they wanted it to. I think we're seeing what some had feared, and that was that it was going to do the opposite, that it was going to make games even longer because you're going to get struggling pitchers out there. And I don't know. It's just kind of like a cumbersome rule that I don't know if it's totally necessary. I don't know if the, the gains yeah. you're getting from it are worth it. So uh, yeah. I don't know. It just seem, it seems to me, I guess my challenge is, with baseball is, you know, to me, these two rules in particular are just kind of victims of the way bullpens have just taken over. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that, you know, it's not like you're guiding it to say, uh, okay, we're going to do this because this is just cool for the game. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Everybody's like going 13 deep into their bullpens and this is just where the game is going. So the way we can counter it and not run out of pitchers in a three-game series. And yeah, I understand pandemic, 17 inning games. But in general, the idea of, okay, running out of pitchers or three batter minimum because we're going we're gonna to take a pitcher out in the middle of a count because the matchup is better. And if we have unlimited pitchers, we're just going to use them all. So to some degree, it's, it's, it's like an effort to counter where the analytics has, has been taking us. And I do appreciate that, which is why I wonder what else can we consider? Like, you know, Jay and I used to talk all the time, like, man, those matchups where Steve Carlton versus Tom Seaver, you know, like we just like the duel of between these giants is, is kind of no longer. Um, Yeah. I hate that. I, I, it's the same way, right? Like most more recently, a a more recent example that being able to look down and see Kershaw Bumgarner. Yeah. Boy, you get so excited knowing that matchup's coming. And it, it's, that stuff still exists a little bit, but not like it used to. I, I don't know. Can you do Can you do something crazy and say teams can only use, like barring an injury or barring this, this, and this, teams can only use two pitchers over the first five innings? Something like, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. You, you couldn't do that, right? But is there something yeah. along those lines that could help bring it back in that direction? I don't know. I'm I mean, just I can tell you. I can tell you about an idea that I've written about that yeah. people really seem to like, and that is the variation on the universal DH, where everybody can, everybody has a DH, both leagues. However, when the starting pitcher or primary pitcher, whoever you designate, leaves the game, you lose your DH. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then all of a sudden it reintroduces all the strategic elements yeah. uh, of National League Baseball that we kind of like. I right? like it. Yeah. Plus, Good. it's it incentivizes leaving your starting pitcher in the game. Mm-hmm. I like it Especially a lot. Especially if you're not, if you're not deep and I like it's not my idea. This was brainstormed within baseball and uh, you know in the rush to install the universal DH before this season, I wonder if that rule that variation on that rule gets lost now so that they can't even f- consider it as they go to, to decide whether or not they're going to make universal DH hmm. permanent, but I've never run it past anybody who didn't think, "Hey, that's a really fun <laughs> right. idea." Right. And I'm, like, I think kind of the theme of Starkville is we we love fun. <laughs> yeah. Who fun. doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, I, I actually have a I have a fun question for you. Now, we've taught you 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 touched on this the cardboard cutouts huh? at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> All right, I've seen a cutout of Oral, mm-hmm. Nomar. Lana Rizzo, Ned Coletti. I have not noticed a Joe Davis cut <laughs> out there. Do you not have one? Or do you, I'm actually it right next to Oral, but oh, I've you got are. a hat on and a beard because oh they had goodness. us. They had oh. us take these uh, pictures. I before. wonder if that was you. That's me with a hat backwards, a beard, and my two-year-old and a baby Bjorn. 
Oh my goodness! <laughs> so you're so, really incognito oh, wow. on your yeah, cardboard yeah. Cutout. It does not. It, truthfully, it does not look like me. So I don't. I'm not not one bit surprised <laughs> that you didn't think you saw they, me. Yeah, they didn't have. So they didn't have a a photo of you that looked like you. Um, they probably <laughs> did, but I, they said send us a picture. And I said let's have some fun with this, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's tremendous. Do you ever, so do you ever catch a view of yourself? Yeah. watching the game yeah yeah well they they uh so every now and then here's the problem the way they have it situated you can't really see you can only see like the top of my son's head and so it just yeah. looks like it's i'm making this stupid face <laughs> that you would make when you're carrying an oversized baby in a bjorn <laughs> but you can't really see the oversized baby in the bjorn for most shots so i just look ridiculous uh, i gotta go back and look at yeah, that oh, check it out. Gotta, wow have to find that one <laughs> yeah but, immortalized in cardboard yes. don't get any bigger than that yeah. Yeah. what's the attendance by the way the cardboard attendance oh it's high it's, it's high it um Last I saw, it was like twelve thousand. Wow! I want to say twelve thousand. Um, have you guys checked out games in Seattle and seen yeah. their cardboard? Oh, it yeah. looks great yeah. there. They've got them spread out a little better. Yeah, I think than yeah. a lot of places. They're they, one of, their presentation they're one of the best. is great. Yeah, I think Philly's one of the best. Houston's one of the best. Um, some of these places don't have any. I'm amazed by that. Wrigley, yeah, right? Not one of Wrigley, right? No, so, yeah, and it looks better with them. Hey, yeah, uh, you, you, you know, you mentioned Oral. Uh, you guys have such great chemistry, and uh, you know I, I I work with Oral. I think Doug, I think you work with Oral, right? ESPN, yeah, right? Pitching coach like, in Texas too. Oh, um, that too, yeah. right? It, like Oral's eye for every detail yeah. is yep. amazing. Uh huh. What what's it like to work with Oral Hershey? Oh, it's the greatest. It's the greatest thing. He's one of my best friends in the world. I've told told people before that outside of my parents and my wife he's the most impactful person in my entire life and wow. that, you know, at any point in my life, um, wow. he just wow. beyond the stuff you hear on the air and the people inside baseball know, like the eye you mentioned for every part of the game, you know, some, some broadcasters hitters just want to talk hitting pitchers are just going to talk pitching. He can talk anything. He can talk hitting, pitching, base running, sports, science injuries. Like he, he can talk any of these on an expert level, Forget oh, yeah. that stuff, though. He is just the most conscientious, caring, giving person I have ever met. And to be able to sit next to him every day, it's it's what makes the job as special as it is. And, I mean, I like he, he always says, yeah, another five years or so, and then I'm probably done. I'm like, stop. <laughs> you got at least another yeah. 15. And yeah. I, I we joke about it. But gosh, I I dread the day when it's not him anymore because it's yeah. it's special. He's so good. Well, um, I thought I'd run a little Oral Hershiser trivia by you. Oh, right? Let's see how well you really know him. Okay, yeah. Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> little flyers, yeah. wrong questions. Uh, all those years that Oral pitched in the big leagues, uh -huh. nobody hit more than five home runs off him. Mm -hmm. Now three guys hit five. Two of them are Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. Wow. The other's a little more unlikely, so I'm going to give you multiple choice. Is it Tony Clark, Jeremy Burnitz, or Jose Valentin? Wow. Good one. Oh, I'm so glad this is Before the A, B, and C <laughs> options, I was going to say Moises Alou, but um, so it's not him. I don't know, Tony Clark? Uh, that's a fine guess. All those guys are close, but the actual answer is Jose Valentin. Really? 
Five homers in only 30 at bats. Give him a hard time about 867 that. against Earl. Yeah, I was hoping you would. I will. I'm for sure. <laughs> yeah. Is it, was he the Brewers then? I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of yeah. National League time. I guess the Oral uh, played around a little bit too. I guess Cleveland. I don't know. You want, you want, like, yeah. you want me to actually look these up? Uh, I just, well, I guess Hershiser was in Cleveland for a bit. Yeah. And uh, Mets, uh, Dodgers. Right. These are all. Right. Okay. So these are all. He's in Milwaukee for all of them. Oral, however, was in Cleveland. <laughs> He was a giant. Oh, yeah, giant. He was a Met. I can hardly even remember yeah. all as a Met. Oh, yeah. He well, went to I, all the good food cities at the end. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> that, that's where I faced him. That's, that's about where right. I faced him. I faced him a lot. In, all right. In uh, Mets, Philly. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, I, got, I got one more. Um, like, you're, you're a guy who wanted to be a broadcaster for a really yep. long time. So, what would your Mount Rushmore of baseball broadcasters Ooh, yeah. yeah so you you were kind enough to to ask me this question this morning to make sure that i had some time to think about it i'm glad <laughs> yeah. you did because i wouldn't want to just fire off the top <laughs> of my head on this and i tried to make it my mount rushmore right i'm not saying these are the four yeah. greatest baseball right. broadcasters of all time although you can make an argument uh with with a couple of these guys the first one is an easy one it's finn um even if it even if i wasn't sitting yeah. in the chair i'm in i, I think that that's yeah. Now, answer number yeah. one you could make a mount rushmore which is four different vin faces <laughs> up there and it would be fine so true so uh, true growing up in michigan i was too young to appreciate how good he was and i wasn't old enough yet to know that you could do this for a job but uh old enough to have an appreciation for ernie harwell and then also the the idea that ernie harwell leaving the dodgers after the 1949 season is what opened up a spot for vin scully Adds another layer to that. So Ernie yeah, Harwell's amazing. up there. Um, and then the two more modern pieces that I'll put on there. I mentioned I grew up a Cubs fan. Pat Hughes on Cubs Radio. Ooh, good one. I think is uh, special at what he does. And I've taken stolen as much from Pat as anybody that uh, – that, that I've listened to. You can go back to the, my very first minor league tapes and it sounds like I'm just doing a Pat Hughes impression <laughs> uh, poorly. Go for it, but, man. Uh, yep, so Pat's on there. And then uh, the, the guy that I've always dreamt of being and have listened to more than anybody, uh, first by just osmosis because he was on all the biggest games when I was growing up, but then because I recognized that he was the best at what he does, Joe Buck. That's a great That's one. A good, great good one. list. I was thinking how many members of the Buck family should be on yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Mount Buck. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? All right? I think, Doug, I think we need to let Joe go. He's got to go study up for his next Oral Hershiser trivia quiz. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right? Right? I got to get my game face on to give him a hard time about the home runs. Yeah, let us know how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> Uh, uh, Joe, keep up the awesome work, Thank man. You. So Thank you, grateful that you joined us here in Starkville. It was fun. Thank you, guys. Anytime. All right, Doug. It is time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast, listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in the show. And once again this week, we are literally involving you. Uh, now, just to recap, for some reason this year, we decided... Hey, it'd really be fun to have you not just submit your trivia questions, but we'd actually allow you to join us on the show and then humiliate us with the questions live. Uh, that's working out well. <laughs> We've done that for seven weeks now. This would be the eighth. Yeah. 
And Doug, uh, oh. how are we doing since we started bringing our loyal listeners on the show to ask the questions live? Well, in the game's back column, we are, uh, it's, or at least the street <laughs> column, it's going to say L7, <laughs> seven games out of first base, yeah. which is not right. good. It's now listeners seven, you and me, still zero, still. Anyway, let's welcome in this week's luckier guest trivia contestant. It's Anthony Kellamis. Anthony, welcome to Starkville. Thank you. How big a thrill is this for you, Anthony? Uh, pretty big thrill at the moment. I'm uh, pretty excited. <laughs> well, that's good. Now, uh, Doug, I should admit that I know Anthony. Uh, he and I are in touch every yes. year after the Hall of Fame ballots come out because he works with Ryan Thibodeau on the Hall of Fame tracker. Uh, Anthony, how'd you wind up working with Ryan, and uh, how fun is that job? Uh, it's a lot of fun. I, The year that Yvonne Rodriguez was elected in 2017, I actually just randomly sent Ryan a message on Twitter about some of the ballots that were coming in, and we ended up talking a lot. And then I helped him with certain things. I was kind of monitoring how Yvonne Rodriguez was doing relative to Piazza the year before. And then after that year, he reached out to me saying with a, one child on the way and his life getting busier, he kind of needed some help running it. So he reached out to me and a couple other people and we ended up joining and helping him do everything. I mean, that job had something to do with the question that you're about to ask us. I'm thinking that tell us how you came up with the question. And then I guess we should probably get this over with and you can ask it to us right here on Starkville. <laughs> sure. So a couple days ago, Ryan, uh, we were talking in our group Slack about the upcoming Hall of Fame election. So Ryan put together a sample ballot and posted it on Twitter. And one of the players that is eligible for the first time this year is Tory Hunter. So I ended up on his uh, baseball reference and noticed that he won nine gold gloves and hit a lot of home runs and had a lot of hits. So I started looking to see how many other players had done that because it didn't seem like something that had been done very often. And that then led to the question. That's good work. That's that's good how these work, questions man. are formed. I've, I've done many questions just like that. All right, let's go. Ask us your question so we can get it wrong, get it over with. Okay, oh. so... <laughs> Tory Hunter, who's debuting on the Hall of Fame ballot this November, is one of four players who's won nine gold gloves or more, has 325 home runs or more, and 2,400 hits or more. Who are the other wow. three players? Okay, so that's nine gold gloves. Nine gold okay, gloves. Okay, 325 homers, 2,400 Ooh. hits. We need three wow, answers. That is, yeah. that is really All impressive. All right, so Willie Mays is one. I know that. Um Ken Griffey Jr. seems like he should be another. So now who's okay. the third? That's what it's... We usually turn this into... Mo like, we're yeah, going to have six Doug, answers because we're terrible. Doug is so. gaming the system now, but, it, yeah, I'm I'm, trying to but do, we're going do, with you know, it, okay? So, without looking stuff up. So, you know, it's Lisa. All right, it's okay. I've got Mays okay. and Griffey. Then, then it feels okay. like it should be either Mike Schmidt or Roberto Clemente. Oh my goodness. That means the so then the question is did Clemente hit enough homers and did Schmidt get 2400 hits? So I thought about other guys who could maybe sneak in here. You can take notes Glanville if you want, uh Robbie Alomar, Pudge Rodriguez, <clears throat> Brooks Robinson, Ron Ooh. Sano, Ryan Sandberg, Ooh, Johnny. Johnny Bench. Those those are the guys who want a ton of gold gloves. Uh my immediate thought, and my tr like from my trivia brain, 
it kept telling me Clemente. But then I thought, all right, suppose it's Mike Schmidt and I get it wrong. I'll get cr- <laughs> I'm going to get crushed by everyone in Philadelphia. <laughs> so I- I'm going to go with Mays, Griffey, and Schmidt. Doug, mm, you got a good one. Why don't you pick some answer? Yeah, my my top was Schmidt and Mays, so that's good. But since I, we need as much help as we can get, so um, or here's who I kind of thought. I'm just going to rattle off: Dwight Evans, Jim Edmonds, Johnny Bench, Carlton Fisk, Gary Carter, Ryan Sandberg, Eddie Murray, Joe Morgan, Andrew Jones. Yeah, all, I know all that's good. just not bad answers, right? So, all right, so I'm going to go. Well, I didn't think of Clemente, so. That, that kind of messed me up a little bit. <laughs> How about Albert Pujols? I mean, the guy's won a ton of gold gloves. No, nah, he hasn't won enough gold gloves. I'm sure he, he hasn't won enough. All right. Not so nine. Nine's a lot of gold gloves. Nine? Yeah, he hasn't won enough. All right. There's no way. All right. No, oh, you ruined my whole thing there. Okay, so, all right, let me just give you some. So, let's go <laughs> Clemente, Ryan Sandberg, when, Bench, no, not, Fisker, No Bench. way he won nine gold gloves. All right, ben. all right. Then Johnny Johnny Bench. I mean, so Eddie, Eddie Murray just he's he's kind of stalking me yeah, right now because the gold glove is like the fifties. It's an right? interesting 1950s. name. I don't think he won nine gold gloves, but anyway, sorry. Nine so gloves. so Ryan, right, I think right. our answer is let's see. It was Mays, right. Griffey, and Schmidt for me? Clemente, Sandberg, Bench for you, ben. Doug. Is that right? Yeah, <sighs> I'm not feeling I'm not feeling great about this here. All right, well let, let let's have Anthony give us the answer. <laughs> You got you got some of them. So Will oh, Mays. Uh, Will that's what we hear every week. Will yeah. Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., and Al Kaline. Kaline. Oh, Al Kaline won nine gold gloves. He won ten. Nine he won gold. ten in an eleven-year span. Oh, oh he wasn't. Well, he wasn't even on my list. So sorry, Detroit Tigers wow. fans. So Clemente <laughs> did not enough homers. And, Clemente and has two hundred and forty homers. And Schmidt not enough hits. Yeah, he has like twenty-two. 22 something wow walk too much Ooh, wow. right? walk too much nice. yeah. a couple Very other a couple question. other close you always calls. get two out of three johnny bench yeah. has the home runs and the gold gloves but not the hits right i knew that anyway right or wrong good stuff man. Thank a- after you. we spit out the answers we bring in the mayor of starkville mayor tim uh mayor tim then plays some great moment from trivia answer history so mr mayor what do you got for us this week yeah, guys, so close on so many of those guesses and, and impressive that Anthony just rattles off the numbers of why you guys came up short on all of them. Just <laughs> um, but we're going to go, yeah, we're going to go with the guy that you missed, which is Al Kaline. We're going to go back to October 9th, oh, 1968, nice. game six of the World Series, Tigers versus Cardinals in St. Louis. Here you go. There she goes. No doubt about it. Hell on. Al Kaline. Third straight hit. His second home run. He now has driven in eight runs. So he leads in home runs and in RBIs in the World Series. I know that voice. That was Harry Carey. Awesome. Let me hear you. It could be. It might be. It is Harry <laughs> Carey. All right, Anthony. You had a spectacular question, man. So thank right. you very much for joining us. I'm sure we'll be in touch again in a few months. Thank you. Remember, next week, this could be you asking us a question and enjoying the spectacle of having us extend (laughs) our trivia losing streak to, what are we up to now? We're up to eight, so nine weeks in a row. Uh, Yeah, we'll tell you how to do that a little later in the pod, but first, what do we try to do in this segment, Doug? What do we do with the trivia question? Uh, We entertain, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) It inspires us. (laughs) 
it inspires <laughs> okay. us to come up with a topic to get through a few more minutes of this show and make people forget that we got the trivia question wrong. Uh, let's take a look at some of the active players who have won a bunch of gold gloves and ask, which of these guys can get to 2,400 hits and 325 homers? So we have a few I wrote down. Let's start yeah. with Nolan Arenado. He's already got seven mm-hmm. gold gloves, man. What do you think? Yeah, he's... Oh, yeah. I mean, no doubt. Especially if he stays in Colorado. Right. My goodness. Uh, now, he's, uh, he's got 234 homers, so that's going to happen. Almost 1,200 hits, so he has to double the hits. But he's he's yeah. still 29. I'm going to say yes on him. Okay, mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about Mookie Betts. Um, yeah. What do you think about Mookie? You want numbers? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. He's uh, already gold glove. I think he's going to end up like Biggio. Like he'll probably win a gold glove at second base or something. (laughs) He might. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, he was an infielder once upon a time. Uh, 150 homers for Mookie, about to get his 1,000th hit, and he's 27. So he has to keep this up for a long time. But this just in, he signed for a long time. (laughs) I I think he's the best bet of all. Um, What about Paul Goldschmidt? You want his numbers? Love Goldie. Go, quiet riot, I call him. The quiet riot. <laughs> uh, yeah, go for it. What All numbers? Right, 245 homers, 1,355 nice. hits, turns 33 next month. Got to say no. He kind of walks too much. Um, yeah, he's, he's got he's, he's, I don't know. He's getting, he's getting up there. Yeah, another 1,000 hits. Uh, I, I, yeah. like, I love the guy, but I don't think so. Uh, here's a guy near and dear to our hearts. Anthony Rizzo, uh, mm. 223 homers, 1,200 hits. So he would also have to double the hits. Nah, not not seeing it. I mean, it's, I think it's about next year, contract year. Yes. You might go to other places right. and, you know, all of a sudden you might find yourself within three, four years in, in a more of a role-playing role. Uh, do I don't know, maybe if the DH, maybe if the DH sticks – Gonna have a hard time winning um, I mean, gold glove as the DH, although Rafael Palmero did it. Yeah, no. Well, he might have nine by then. I'm just, you know, I'm thinking five uh, years from now. Uh, yeah, I think the hits are gonna be yeah, tough. Just turned too. 31. Uh, doubling the hits, I, I just too, too tough. But anyway, f- fun trivia question, fun topic, fun yeah, way to one. keep this podcast moving along. But Doug, yeah, before we go, we like to spend a few minutes talking about the craziest, the strangest, but truest stuff that we saw in the last week. Strange but true. So, Doug, I know what you want to talk about because on Sunday afternoon, uh, you started texting me like crazy about a wild play in that A's-Angels game. Uh, What do you say we listen to it before I let you start waxing poetic about it? (laughs) Yes. Shallow center. It's going to be a long run for everybody again. Laureano hustling in, and it falls, but he's going to throw to second. And did they get him? Yes. What a great play. Frankie Montas hustled over to cover second base, and they got the force out. Wow. That was, yeah. that was an 8-1 put out at second base. Uh, <laughs> right. I was like, where's the drama around? That was the pitcher over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, F- Frankie Montas just hanging out at second base in case somebody showed up there. Wow. Doug. What, uh, um, all right. So we have an 8-1 I, out at second base. That was crazy. Please discuss. Yeah. 
I mean, I was trying to figure out, I remember texting like, did this, has this ever happened before? I mean, <laughs> I understand maybe I've thrown the ball to the pitcher when I was in center somewhere, but uh, I don't remember getting a force play at second base. <laughs> uh, that is crazy. So um, so I started thinking about all these scenarios of being like out of position and, uh, and, and look, a lot of it is hustle. I know a couple of times I've gotten involved in rundowns, you know, out of center because I came in to back up and I just kept coming. I actually tried to tag someone who slid in the second once as a center fielder. (laughs) And it wasn't on like an infield in or anything crazy. So uh, so I always notice stuff like that. And I know it is just has a lot to do with the instincts to kind of follow the play and and cover the bases and, and actually know where the runners are. So that, that was a great play by Montes. I mean, really a heads-up play. Okay, so we both thought, boy, we've never seen a play like that. So, of course, uh, it turned out that there was one last July <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, that, in that, a Cubs game. Right, so I was thinking, oh, how, did I, was I there? how did I miss that? Uh, yeah. Oh, it was the day I gave my Hall of Fame speech. So I had a good excuse. Oh, yeah, that would do it. Oh, but yeah, I don't know that, what... That's my excuse, yeah, What was your excuse? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was watching your Hall of Fame speech. Okay. All right, let's go with that. That sounds good. Uh, anyway, I have another crazy play from last week uh, that happened in the outfield. And this was last Tuesday in Texas. Uh, it was Padres, Rangers, Joey Gallo at the plate. Let's hear this one. Over the shoulder catch made down the right field line. How about that play? All the way down in the corner. Manny Machado in the shift makes the catch. Ran out of our sight line and somehow comes up with the baseball. He's a magician. Manny the magician. How does he catch this ball? The flash look. Oh, my goodness. Wide receiver back corner of the end zone. Touchdown. Don Arcillo and Mark Grant with a great call on a play they didn't even see. Uh, so all right, let's just to clear this up. That was a fly ball in the right field corner where it was caught by the third baseman. Okay, so like I don't know about you, but when something like this happens, I say, wait, has that ever happened? It's impossible. So uh, I... You know, I reached out to our friend Mark Simon, uh, who works at Sports Info Solutions, and the people at Sports Info Solutions then looked into this question. And I love it. Is that the most unlikely place that any fielder has ever caught a ball? Okay. And their answer is, yeah, of course it is. Um, <laughs> they, they went and looked at uh, basically the era of shifting. So that's the last nine seasons. And so here we have a ball. It comes down 282 feet from home plate and 300 feet from where the third baseman normally stands. And it is caught by the third baseman. Like that can't happen, even with shifting. But of course it did. And we're going to score it. P5, pop to the third baseman. Doug, you just touched on this. Why are we even keeping score anymore? If we're going to write down, oh. that was a pop-up to the third baseman. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm still in, in awe of the play. I just can't. My brain explodes <laughs> thinking about it. And you know, I was thinking like catchers. You know, I mean, if catcher catches a ball in center field, I mean, what? I mean, think about the well, think about the hang time that would be required for it to happen normally. That would be an interesting question, right? What would be the hang time for a third baseman to run 300 feet <laughs> and catch 280 feet out, like? I mean, it has to be like it has to be like ten seconds. It have to be higher than I mean, the sun. Yeah, like to <laughs> orbit the Earth and come back down. 
I mean, I used to dream of these things, like catching balls to center fielder and straightaway right field. I'd say, oh, that would be really cool. And uh, I remember Pat Burrell was in left in Cincinnati, the last game of the season. And I think it was 2001. And he lost the ball. Uh, he was kind of sick anyway, going into the game. And I ran from center field all the way to left field <laughs> to catch it. You know, So that was cool, but it was not 300 feet. So, um, But yeah, so I think to your point, uh, I've had this discussion a few times lately. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, I used to keep score. I played stratomatic baseball. I, I just love the tradition. In fact, for Father's Day last year, I sat my kids and my wife down and I taught, taught them how to score. Like I t- tried to show them all the, and then we went to a Hartford Yard Goats game. So I, I love scoring. It, it's a beauty. Uh, it's an art, art form. But um, what is really impossible now is to account for all these shifts. And, and it's, it's almost like you need, and I've, I've seen this on Twitter, Tango Tiger out there, uh, zone ratings, you know, you, you, know, you almost have to uh, bring in zones. Yeah. Like yeah. that ball was caught by the shortstop. Now, I don't know if there's enough, there certainly is enough room on the paper to write this down, but that's how it is. And this is now standard. You can't call shifts even shifts anymore because it's almost like standard defense. This is standard defense. Yeah. You, you play guys in these what are traditionally unorthodox, but it's, it's kind of normal now. You're always moving people around. Uh, I don't know if the, the percentage of players are now higher in shifts, but I imagine certainly some teams are already there. Uh, so how do you account for the fact that Chris Bryant is on the right side of the field turning a double play at second and all these things? Uh, there's there, You need some sort of notation because – it's it's where it's not about where the ball historically it's not about where the ball is caught it's about what position you played and that's starting to feel inaccurate in describing what we're seeing on the field and what the game is what's transpiring in the game yeah there's no doubt now that this was actually one of the big flaws in defensive runs saved uh in the early permutations of it uh they've now made dramatic adjustments in how they calculate it so they know that Manny Machado didn't run 300 feet but he did run 100 feet to catch it so they mm-hmm. like because because the we're now measuring everything that happens on the field um the defensive metrics have adjusted with that so the metrics are now reflecting those things okay the way they didn't initially um so at least we got that taken care of uh just a side note about keeping score uh here's our personal connection in scorekeeping um you know it's obviously i my kids would see me keep score at the games and uh my daughter hallie decided she wanted to learn how right so she i taught her how to keep score and she would start to keep score at the games and so i think the Maybe the first or second game I can ever remember keeping score, her keeping score the whole game, was a game in Philadelphia. Eric Milton was pitching. And she said to me, Dad, I think I'm going to be keeping score of a no-hitter. And then what happened, Doug? (laughs) (laughs) I never heard this story. This is good. How about it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, Eric Milton lost the no-hitter because uh, I can't remember the hitter. I'm sure you remember. Took a hellacious swing. Uh, this Michael Barrett, maybe? maybe I think it was Michael. Yeah, Michael Barrett, yeah, right? Cubs, right? And uh, Doug, the center fielder, a guy named Doug Glanville, takes a step back because of the big ferocious swing, and then realizes that this is a little blooper in short center. Well, th- I, I believe he didn't catch this ball, Doug. Is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm excited to tell this story, and I'm going to apologize to Philly fans out there for uh, missing that no hitter. Uh, 
but yeah, this is actually how it went down. So I was, I, I didn't start this game. So it's Phillies Cubs, the, the Glanville Super Bowl. And um, <laughs> so Milton is throwing this no hitter. And I was, I, uh, Larry Boa put me in as a defensive replacement. And, you know, uh, Dwayne Wise, wait, uh, yeah, Wise, yeah, with a, who caught right, that bur- early I mean, game. He put me, yeah, he put me to shame because I didn't really have an excuse saying I came off the bench cold to play defense, but I did. And it was a, it was a day game. It started off as a day when Ricky Lede, I think it started, and he had a lot of trouble picking up the ball and all this. So I, I came in in a, not exactly the greatest situation. So one of the first batters, I think there was maybe one out, Barrett pops up, and Chase Utley's playing second base. And I went back. It was like my Jimmy Pearsall days. We were winning two to nothing, I think. And my instincts were like, oh, I, although I want to read the ball, and I know I'm not going to pick it up super well with – the, the environment I need to protect against balls over my head because I don't want to put the runner in scoring position so my my reaction was I gotta I gotta break back as as a caution not thinking like okay I gotta stop this no hitter first and foremost right so I was kind of caught in between that and then the play unfolded and poor Utley he ran out like a hundred <laughs> feet and dove and he was 45 feet short of the ball I mean he was just trying and so I, I broke back for a second and then I came in and, and that was the only move uh, so the no hitter was broken and then I don't know if you remember after that Corey Patterson was up I think that's right yeah. and I play a little shallower and he hits the ball over my right. head off the wall <laughs> they, tie the right? game. So they, had, they tie the game and it's just like a nightmare so the so that was tough and I of course I got booed but I think the worst part about it and I understand it fully was I went to, uh, it was extra innings or bottom of the ninth, tie game, Pat Burrell, uh, I think I think Burrell's on base or he gets the game when he hit, I don't know, but I ended up bunting the, the winning run over. But before the pitch, LaTroy Hawkins was pitching and he threw a pitch at my at my head. I don't know, it's a, it's a good strategy because it messes up your bunt and uh, it put me on my back, almost hit me in the head, and I, I fell over, and I, I got a standing ovation. <laughs> this is in Philadelphia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So, but uh, we ended up winning that game on that bunt. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So, that was the story. The other ep- Sorry, Philly fans. Yeah, I, I just misread well, it. Well, the, the other epilogue to that is, um, you know, I used to speak almost every year at the uh, baseball rookie development program to uh, up and coming prospects. I was on a media panel and that yeah. next, that next winter when I was on that panel, uh, I always like to give them examples of this is how you handle these moments when they happen to you because they will. And my example that winter was, let me tell you how a guy named Doug Glanville answered the questions that day because this is how it's done. Naturally, I mean, I'm not telling anybody out there anything they shouldn't know about Doug, but going to that locker room afterwards, Doug was standing right there and explained everything the way he just did in great detail, owned it, took full responsibility, but explained it um, and just talked about it as it's part of life. It's part of baseball. That's how it's done. Okay, it can't be done. Now, these days, like when we're doing everything by Zoom, like the guy who misses up that play probably will never even go to the Zoom room. <laughs> so, so it's irrelevant for right now. But it was it was it was handled perfectly 
even though you didn't catch the ball, Doug. So let's acknowledge that. And my daughter got over the fact she never scored a no-hitter, and we're way off the point of the Manny Machado (laughs) story. But I think we concluded that keeping score right now, if you don't have a lot of footnotes, it just ain't (laughs) what it's cracked up to be. (laughs) Right? Agreed? Yeah, agreed, 100%. It's it's. It's hard to tell the story in completeness now because of that. And, and that's, that's hard for, for the old school standpoint. But I, I do hope we come up with something uh, creative. I mean, I've seen these zones and, yeah. and you, you mark the field as zone. Maybe, that, maybe that's it. But you have to be lightning quick yeah. <laughs> because they're shifting all I the just time. Lot, I just write lots of notes. That's all. Lots of notes, yeah. Um, yep. All right, friends, that's going to do it for this week's Starkville. Uh, let's remind you again, Starkville is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you find your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. And if you'd like to read our work or the incredible work of our amazing staff, there's still no better sports writing being done anywhere these days than you'll find in the Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, We're currently offering a free trial, so check us out. You won't regret it. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast, just like Anthony Calamus today. We are now inviting the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here in the podcast and prove, once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. (laughs) So suppose you're thinking, how would I do that? Well, you could email us your question at Starkville at theathletic.com, Starkville with an E on the end. Or you can do what Anthony did. Hit us up on Twitter where you would find Doug Glanville at? At Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. And you would find me at Jason with a Y-S-T, at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Just remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville. QS. Lots of people forgetting to do that. Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joe Davis for visiting us. Thanks to Anthony Calamus for the trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. We will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.